0: The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Carigma Ventures. More information is available at www.carigmaventures.com. Well, Glory, hey, this is Dudley. Good to be back with you again. I've uh, got some interesting t- things to talk about this time, and uh, you're going to like it. Before I get into all that, though, however, uh, let me r- remind you of a couple of things. People ask me pretty often about whether or not we have uh, some of our books in electronic mode, so you can listen to them. Sometimes we do, but the one that people ask about most is "Orphans No More." We don't yet have that in that uh, so so you can just audio book deal, but we do have the essence of that book, "Orphans No More," on CD. There, in fact, there are 14 of these CDs. So what a deal! So <laughs> I recommend you get that because the book really is just kind of a distillation of that of all that teaching. And if you really want to get all of that, you ought to get those CDs and listen to them. That book continually is a blessing to so many people. We're having people now who are wanting to, to buy it and give it away in prisons and so forth. There's All of us need a father to affirm us, love us, and guide us. And we all are orphans Be in our mind. We're alienated from God and so it's such an important concept. So I, I, I recommend you get that. And when you get it, listen to it, bring some people over to your house, play it for them, put it in your card, do whatever you have to to get that, that spread out. All right. Uh, here we are in, in the fall. And the next big thing is happening at our place is the theological roundtable. We'll have about 40, 45 theologians, if you will, people who are interested in leadership and theology. And we're discussing this year the gospel and spiritual power. Some people would call that warfare. We're talking about the powers, the principalities, the powers, the demonic stuff, and how all that relates to the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, us, the whole deal. It's so, such an important thing. In fact, I'm going to be talking about a little bit this uh, today with you. Uh, So you can be praying for that, and if you have an interest in being a part of that and you are not signed up, let us know, and if there's any room, we'll consider it, okay? Uh, And then the biggie happening in uh, March, first few days of March, is the EPIC, the EPIC conference. This is the best conference going on in the United States. We talk about uh, the gospel from uh, every angle, and this year, We are blessed to have, as one of our guest speakers, Tullian Chavijan. Tullian has a message of grace. He's experienced it himself. He himself is a great communicator, best-selling author, was pastor of a large church, went through a tough, tough time in his life, and is responding to the grace of God in it. And so Tullian will be telling us his story. He'll be speaking to us from that whole perspective. I mean, there are a lot of people who... Don't think, uh, don't think you all be listening to people who failed and who are uh, restored. So you're going to love being uh, hearing his message along with what the rest of us are saying. You need to go ahead and save that those dates. It starts on Thursday and goes through Saturday noon and uh, first major weekend end in March, first days of March. So. We'll be doing it this year at Sojourn Church, which is in North Dallas, and you'll need to register from from in our office and get all set up for that. Come, bring your family, bring your elders, bring as many people as you can. Get it on your calendar now and don't, don't let anything take its place, okay? All right, this month, today, I want to talk to you about well, I, I kind of debated about what, what to call this thing. I want to talk to you about what it means to be a vulnerable sheep. I want to talk to you about the, what the Bible teaches about suffering. So I, I guess I'm just going to call it the thorn, the way of the thorn, because I am going to talk about the uh, thorn in the flesh that Paul had. But here's where we're going to start. It, it concerns me greatly that so many people who are churchgoers, sincere people, are so vulnerable to the enemy prowling around like a roaring lion. I want to read you a text. This is in 1 Peter chapter 5, and it's, uh, here's where it starts. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself... Restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Okay. So, what Peter is saying is this living the Christian life is serious business, and you need to know that you got an enemy, and he's like a roaring lion prowling in the wilderness looking for prey. Now, who are the prey? Well, in this context, the prey, those who are vulnerable to the prowling lion, are those who don't understand or are not responding properly to suffering. That's the context. Because sometimes I read that text and I thought, well, the devil's prowling around. I don't know, you know what, can he get me? Uh, is he going to get my kids? Is he going to get my, my, my friends? Is he going to get the United States? You know, can we stop him? Well, in the context here, he's saying, look, he's looking for the vulnerable. The lion is looking for those who are crippled. Well, who are the crippled? The crippled are those who, for whatever reason, have a bad or an incomplete understanding of how suffering fits into the life of grace. And because they don't, they are victimized. They feel isolated. They feel they feel like God maybe doesn't love them. They feel like they've done something wrong, and it's allowed the devil to come into their life. They feel like God is uh, he may be interested in big people, but not them. They feel like they have all kind of stuff, and so so because they take a victim's mentality or they get bitter or they question God's goodness or his sovereignty or whatever. They become pray for the devil. So, so he, uh, he gets them and they, they fall into his captivity. Here's, here's one thing that concerned to me is that in our churches, in the contemporary church pretty much, we have so bought into a shallow view of the Christian life. We, we, we make no room for, for sickness. We make no room for suffering. We make no room for weakness. We make no room for failure. We, we make no room for hurting and affliction. And, and somehow we picked up the idea that if you are a Christian and if you're believing properly and you are doing the right things that you're somehow guaranteed that nothing uncomfortable is ever gonna happen to you and certainly nothing traumatic is gonna happen to you. And so it's a a spinoff of a bad prosperity gospel that has people believing that everything's gonna be cool. Now that you trust Jesus and you've learned the formulas and you've learned the principles and all of that, you're gonna be cool now. And then something terrible happens some unexpected event crashes in and life begins to be topsy turvy and and there's pain and there's you don't understand it and 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 god seems to have gone silent on you and, and so you get all down in the mouth about it and hey that person is very vulnerable to the enemy and then they can believe anything and can be captured by it. And it bothers me that we uh, are not helping people get fully equipped to handle life. Because if you you don't live very long, you know that life can throw you some curves. This text right here says, take it seriously and resist the devil firm in the faith. And uh, this is not our primary passage, but I'm just going to tell you what it says. It says, here's the way you resist him. You humble yourself. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You submit to God, even though you don't understand what's happening, you submit to God. You submit to the God who's promised that he would never leave you. Then you cast all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And then you, you discipline your mind, primarily your mind. You don't let your mind go to all of those questions and start entertaining all that stuff. You believe what God has said. Remember, God told Israel, I led you in the wilderness and let you have some of those troubles, let you go hungry. He said, I let you go hungry. Why? So I could feed you with manna and teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God is intent on teaching us to live by his word, that his word defines reality regardless of how we feel, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what other people are telling you, that we live by his word. So one of the things we do is we bring our minds in line with the word of God. And then the other thing is to know that God's promises do not guarantee that trouble won't come. In fact, they guarantee that it will. What God's promises guarantee is that he will never leave you and that there will always be grace there to respond to the, to whatever trouble that comes along so so that's a good passage there in first uh, peter and and i want to encourage you to read it but but the passage that i want to deal with today with you is one that the apostle paul dealt with it's in first second uh, corinthians chapter 12. and so if you'll turn there if you if you have something to turn with if not you can uh, you can trust me that i'll read it right so here, here's 2 corinthians 12 let me give you a little little context. Okay. So Paul is being accosted by some people in Corinth who say that he's not a legitimate apostle, that he does not have the same kind of authority that they do. Now, the reason they say that is because he gets put in jail every once in a while. He gets stoned every once in a while. He gets, he gets mocked. He gets persecuted. He gets shipwrecked. And and so their whole deal is if you were really a man of faith and a man with authority, you wouldn't be undergoing that kind of stuff. And so they hold themselves up as an example of someone who's, uh has authority and whatever. And they have claimed that they have had, that they have some unique, unusual, specialized light, enlightenment, if you will, that they know some things that other people don't know. And so they hold themselves up kind of as, you know, we we know stuff nobody else knows. So Paul is having to write in the midst of that to say to the church there, don't be deceived by these apostles of light, these false apostles. And so he's having to defend his own apostleship. So that's the context, okay? Now I'm going to read it. It's necessary to boast. Nothing is to be gained by it, but I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told and no mortal is permitted to repeat. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He said, I got caught up in an experience with the Lord and he told me things that that I can't tell you. And no, no mortal can. He saw some of the mysteries of God. So he said, these false apostles are claiming they got some enlightenment? Well, I did too. Now, Paul, if we read his epistles, we can discover some of the stuff that he, that he saw there. But he says, I never revealed it all to you. But, but that which is beneficial to you, that which you could handle, he gave to us. And so he, he revealed some mysteries He revealed, for instance, in in his writings, he revealed the mystery of how God used Israel as His instrument, and how Jesus came as Israel's representative, and how Jesus fulfilled Israel's destiny, and how then the gospel was given to the Gentiles, to the whole world, because Jesus did what Israel was supposed to do, but didn't do. Jesus did in their behalf. And so uh Israel fulfilled their role and the Gentiles received the gospel. That was a mystery. Nobody had ever heard that until Paul explained it in Romans 9, 10, 11, and Ephesians chapter 2. He also talks about the mystery of union, what it means to be Connected with Christ, faith in Christ, means that you share his life. He lives in you. You live in him. You're, you're as, as much a part of him as he's a part of himself. So you are a part of the Trinity, though you're not divine. You're invited in as a human to participate in the life of the Trinity. That's what eternal life is. That was a mystery. Nobody had ever understood that until Paul explained it. And then he talks about the mystery of affliction the mystery of suffering, which is what he's going to deal with here. So anyway, Paul is saying, if you want to talk about revelations, revelations, not the book of revelation, but revelations, getting insight from God. I had a pretty pretty significant experience, he said. On behalf of such a one, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard in me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated or too exalted." Three times I appealed to the Lord about this that it, would, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities for the sake of Christ for whenever I am weak then I'm strong." That's fabulous passion. That's, it's, been a, it's been abused through the years because people would want to argue about what's the thorn in the flesh? So what, what What was Paul talking about? Did he have a real, a literal thorn in the flesh? No, he didn't walk around, and he would have pulled that out. He, he didn't have a thorn in the flesh. Was it a physical malady? We don't know, maybe it could have been. Those who you know, believe that every Christian should be healed of everything and never should have sickness would argue against that. But he, he describes some things that are included in it. He's talking insults, persecutions, tr- trouble, trials, uh, all of that stuff he mentions there. And, and wherever he went, he had that affliction because the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, were out to get rid of him. They wanted to eradicate him. And so they lied about him. They schemed about him. They did everything. And so that, that could have been a part of it. We, we don't really know. And I think it's, uh, it's providential. It's of God that we don't know because if we did, then we wouldn't take it for our particular situation. We would say it's only there if, you know, if it fits Paul's literal thing. So the, the two things I want you to see about this passage is the purpose of the thorn. Is given very clearly where you want to argue about what the thorn was, help yourself. The purpose of the thorn was this. God is absolutely committed in Paul and in you and in me to prevent self-righteousness. See, he had received these unbelievable revelations, this encounter with God that was beyond anything he could explain. And, It would be easy for any human to say, wow, I got an edge on everybody else. I've seen things you haven't seen. And there's something about our human fallenness that is looking for something that we can use as an edge over other people so at least in one area we can feel superior. Yeah, superior. We don't just want to be equal, we want to be superior. We, we want to be significant. And, and, and we can use all kinds of stuff. It can be your size. It can be your intellect. It can be your family. It can it be your education. It, it could be your doctrine. It could be your behavior. Maybe you've just been a good person in your whole life. It's like, yes, I'm good. You're, you're bad. And, and so there's something in all of us. You need to admit this. If you don't know this, you're walking around in deception. There's something in all of us that likes to find something that gives us an edge, that, that allows me to, to look down a little bit, at least to somebody. That's what prejudice is all about. I mean, how stupid is it to think that the color of your skin gives you an edge and makes you more uh, valuable or more significant? Yeah, and yet we'll do that. Or it could be the side of town you grew up in or it can be your parentage. You, you know how, how, how prone we are to prejudice. Well, that's self-righteousness. That's looking for something in myself, in my efforts, in my behavior, in my achievements. It's, It's looking for something that allows me to feel more important than I really am, or more important than you. Now, I'm going to talk about three areas. The area of your beliefs, doctrine the area of your morality, that's your ethics, and the area of your community, or your club, I like to call it. Those are the three areas that, that's so easy to, to for self-righteousness to get in. First of all, in your beliefs. See, when you believe something and you get all excited about it, maybe it's been meaningful to you, it's so easy for you to look down your nose at those who haven't gotten there yet, or maybe they'll never get there, but you believe something and so you're you're kind of arrogant about it. So, you know, one of the things those of us who are Protestants have had to deal with through the years is Protestant arrogance. It's like, man, the Catholic Church had gotten so corrupt and so perverted that we had to have the Great Reformation with Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and all those people. And and so now we've come out of all that corruption and all that. Superstition and stuff that the Catholics were in, and and now we we are superior because we we believe in the living by the word, by faith alone, by grace alone, in the word of God alone, through Christ alone. So yay, and so we we kind of have this underlying sense of importance, um, exaltation, righteousness. Like yeah, we're we're better than those, and you know and I, we hear people say, well he, you know he's just a Catholic. On the other hand, those who have stayed in the Catholic Church go, look, we're part of the original church, man. You guys, y'all are a bunch of renegades. And we're the ones who had Peter as our foundation and and Peter as our pope. We have the traditions of the church fathers and we've had all the councils and all that. because we're obviously more alert and aware than you guys are. And so either one. And then you got the Anglicans who say, well, yeah, but say we got the best of both worlds because we don't have all the trash that the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church had. And yet we, uh, we haven't gone all the way to where evangelicals are out there kind of on the edge. We're kind of in the, in the Protestant. And and so we we are, we're the ones who's really got the tradition and, and the new revelation. And so the Anglicans kind of, kind of can get self-righteous about that. And then, and then you have the folks who who are products of what, what's called the Great Restoration Movement. The, uh, the movement of like, okay, the church has been corrupt all these years. But finally, there's been a revival, Cambridge Revival or whatever it was. And God now has a purified church. And so the Church of Christ, Christian Church, a bunch of other groups fall into that group. And it's easy for that to become a part of. Okay, you know, we're we've, we're we're looking, we we a little bit better. We, we got our beliefs a little pure, and then of course, more recent years, Pentecostal movement came along. People having new experiences with the Holy Spirit, and new things were coming about about the spiritual gifts and all of that. And so, yeah, well, not only do we have Jesus and we have the Bible, but we, you know, we have these experiences in the Holy Spirit. So we're We're a little bit uh, further down the road than others. Do you see how easy it is for us to grab something that makes us a little bit better than, that causes us to to feel like I I am superior in some area? Well, that's self-righteousness. And that's why Peter said, as you're trying to resist the devil, stand firm in the faith, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What, what does it mean to humble yourself? You know, humility is a, evidently it's a hard concept for us to get because some people just, you know, they just kind of look sloppy and they call themselves humble. You know, they kind of flop around and victimize and whine and, and say, I'm, I'm humble. I, I want to talk to you about humility from a from a very biblical point of view. Humility has two sides. It's the side of overwhelming sense of unworthiness. At the same time, an unshakable confidence in the power of the blood of Christ. Both of those has to be there for you to be humble. If all you have is an, an, is, is this overwhelming uh, sense of unworthiness, you're just going to feel terrible all the time. You're going to be down on yourself, and and you're not going to believe anything. And you're going to whine, and you're going to complain, and you're going to be a victim, and and, and you're never going to be confident in prayer, and you're never going to do anything. And so you're just conscious of your sin and conscious of how unworthy you are. Uh, and, and one of the one of the by the way one of the ways you can detect that in your life is. When you've done something really outside of your expectation, bad, I mean, when you've sinned and you, or you've fallen and, and you've done something that you can't even believe you yourself did, and then you moan and groan about it for minutes and sometimes hours and sometimes days, all you're doing is you're grieving the loss of your own righteousness. You're, you're surprised at yourself, and so you're, you're punishing yourself for not living up to your expectations. And so you're grieving the loss of your own righteousness. That's not humility. That's a refusal to to recognize that Jesus Christ shed his precious blood so that you could have access to the throne of grace and you could come boldly to the throne of grace. You know, you think about the Passover. Can you go with me in your mind back then? Israel, but all of Abraham's kids, are down in Egypt, and they've been there 400 years, and so God's about ready to deliver them. So here's his way of delivering them. He says, I want every family to kill a lamb. I want you to eat the lamb. I want you to take the blood and put it on the doorpost. Now, all they had to do was take the lamb's blood and put it on the doorpost. That was obedience for them. Now, they could have sat around all night and said, Man, can you believe how many laws we've broken? Can you believe how unfaithful to God we've been? Can you believe how easy it was for us to start getting into the idolatry of evil? They could have moaned and groaned all that and said, you know, we're just not worthy for it to be delivered. And they would have died. Destruction would have come. But because they had confidence in the shed blood, they placed that blood on the doorpost. And because they applied the blood, when destruction came, it didn't touch them. Now, you and I have that same promise, except better. Because we didn't kill a lamb, God s- slew his own son. And Jesus was the lamb, his blood was shed, it was sprinkled. And so Hebrews says, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy to help in a time of need. So we're, we have a sense of unworthiness, a sense of weakness And yet we have confidence that because of what Jesus has done, we can come and get whatever resources we need to to get done what God has required us to do. That's humility. That's true humility. And so uh, self-righteousness is a poor substitute. And I can tell you this, God is not for self-righteousness. That's what the Pharisees had. All of us have had it. Some of us have retained it it's time to get rid of it. Uh, because with self-righteousness, you are a prey of the devil. So, the other aspect of, of being humble, not only do you have a, sen- a sense of unworthiness and a confidence in the blood, but you also are aware that you are not individually responsible for doing this whole thing. In other words, you're a part of the body of Christ and you have giftings that give you the privilege of participating in God's assignment, but you don't have them all. Other people have other members, uh, other members of the body have giftings. And you are humble when you respect that. Remember what, what Peter said. You can resist the devil, remembering that your brothers all over the world are suffering just like you. See, the devil would like for you to believe you're the only one suffering. Hey, I've heard that voice recently. Most of you know that my wife died here a few weeks ago. Uh, We've had all kinds of issues to come up. Can I tell you that I heard that voice from hell saying, you know, you're you're the only one going. You're having more trouble than anybody. And it's probably because God just kind of mad with you. And he's after something in your life and, you won't give it up, and 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 so there's there's some reason that God's uh, kind of taking His hand off of you and letting the devil have you, and, and and so I've heard that voice. But when you hear that voice, you need to listen to a previous voice that says, "I'll I'll never forsake you," and all of your righteousness is determined by Jesus' righteousness, not my, not your own, and the blood of Christ covers you and protects you, and so you can you you can live there. And by the way you're not the only one going through trouble. Everybody you meet has got their own troubles. And there are people that are members of the body of Christ right now who are being martyred for their faith. There are people in prison. There are people having their hands cut off. There are people separated from their family. There are people being mutilated today, right now, as we speak around the world who are your brothers and sisters, and they're being persecuted do not believe the lie that you're the only one going through trouble. Trouble is something God grants to us so that we learn the joy of not being self-righteous and the confidence of not being self-sufficient. So and so that's the next point. So what's the, reason, what's the purpose of the thorn? To prevent self-righteousness. Paul you had great revelation I don't want you to exalt yourself I don't want you to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think I want you to think of yourself soberly you are a member of the body don't be self-righteous so it's a good good way second thing is he wants to eliminate in our life self-sufficiency he says to Paul it's in your weakness that my strength is made demonstrated made real so I want you to, to get comfortable with your weakness. Uh, that, that, that doesn't mean that you go around whining. You know, it's like, well, I'm just weak. I can't do anything. I just fail all the time. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that in your endeavor to live by faith, to demonstrate the, the life of Christ in your life, to be a good man or woman, to be a good parent, to be a good mate, to be a good... Neighbor, to be a good citizen, to be a good Christian, you, you, you fail and you, uh, you're weak. You, you, you don't have enough faith when you feel like you need to have faith. You you don't have enough love when you feel like you need to love. You, 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 you just feel like you feel weak. It's, you don't have any sense of, I can do this on my own. You feel like I can't do anything. So you feel very, very weak. It's in those times that God's strength is manifest. It's when, it's when Your faith has come to its end that his faith becomes yours. And so you began to exercise his faith and you began to demonstrate his love and you began to show his perseverance. And and so so you see, Jesus didn't just do all of those things so we would have an example. It is a good example. He did all that so he could give us his life so that we can actually do what he does. And we do it by faith, that is, by trusting him. Lord. I don't have enough faith today. And, and immediately he says, I do. Trust mine. I don't have enough love. This person is just totally outside of my capacity to love. Jesus said, I do. And you can you can confess with Paul, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's in our weaknesses that his faith or his strength is made manifest. And by the way, that's why we're here. We're not here to show everybody how how strong we are, how independent, how self-sufficient. No, Jesus didn't die to get you back so you could be more independent than you ever were. He he didn't... It it, it doesn't work like this. You don't come to God in prayer and go, Lord, if you'll just help me this one little time, get me out of the ditch, just get me out of the ditch right now and get me back to my self-sufficiency and I'll be fine. No, 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 no. He's not going to get you back to your independent self. He wants to get you to the place where you live every moment by manna. What does that mean? They had to trust God every day for manna. That's why Jesus said, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. I, I want to pray. Give me the month's supply right now. I'll put it in my pantry. I will not have to ask you anymore. I won't bother you anymore, Lord. Uh, I'll just make it on my own. No, he said, no, I like it when you when you bother me. I want you to trust me daily for everything, for all your provisions. I want to live life with you, and I want you to live dependent upon me. Not dependent upon others, not being a ward of the state, not whining and being a victim no confidently living in dependence upon God. So he, uh, he he gives us the thorn or he, he, yeah yes a messenger of Satan I, I'm, I'm glad to know that 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 the uh, whatever thorns God lets come in our life you know yes yeah, Satan delivered it but God permitted it and and even sent it. So don't don't get all caught up in well the devil did it God did it whatever uh, probably both uh, but but he can't the devil can't do what God doesn't permit because he really really is in charge so we boast in our weakness right? so how do you boast in your weakness well you don't go around bragging about the fact that you're a terrible sinner and you do the stupid things you say yeah but you know my sin is really not you know you need to know the context of my sin I, This happened to me, and then this happened to me, and then I get it. There's context for all of our sin. I can give you, I can give you a lot of reasons and excuses for every sin I've ever done, but God did not force me to make the wrong choice. He gave me an opportunity in the middle of trouble or in the middle of temptation. So, so boasting your weaknesses is not making excuses for your sin. It's accepting your weakness, saying, "Okay, I'm human. I'm not God." I'm human, which means I get to live the way humans live, that is by faith in, in my Father, faith in, in God through Jesus Christ. So, so we, we don't always get to explain ourselves and we don't get to defend ourselves. If you boast in weakness, you live in humility. And you, humble people don't feel like they have to explain themselves or defend themselves. Remember, when Jesus humbled himself, he was brought before people, brought before Pilate, brought before Herod, brought before Caiphas. He was brought before them, and they questioned him, and he could have answered. Jesus could have said, "Let me explain to you. Let me give you the context. Let me explain to you why I did what I did." But he didn't. He opened not his mouth. He submitted to the one who, the one who sent him. He submitted to his Father because he knows the Father is good and the Father is sovereign. And so he took on unjust persecution and crucifixion because he submitted to the almighty hand of the Father. So to boast in weakness means that we we don't have to defend and we don't defend ourselves. And it also means that we realize we don't have to say something until we have something to say. We don't have to say stuff until we have owned it and we're living it and we're believing it. So the devil is roaring around like he's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking you may devour. Make sure you're not one of the vulnerable ones. If in fact you have a defective view of suffering, if somewhere along the line somebody sold you a, uh, an agenda, a package, a belief that if you'll do these certain things, you'll never have trouble and and you'll never be afflicted and you'll never be sick and you'll never be lied about never be accused or... If you bought all that kind of stuff, then you probably need to revisit. And I encourage you to revisit 1 Peter. The whole letter is written to people who are undergoing affliction, mostly because of their relationship with Christ. But uh, the thorn is, is, a, uh, is a gift of God. Yeah, the devil brought it, but God sent it, and he's got good purposes. So let's respond to those purposes. And when we see self-righteousness, we admit it to God. And we don't grieve over it. We admit it to God and it's forgiven. When we see self-sufficiency, we don't moan and groan and grieve over it. We admit it to God and receive forgiveness and go on and enjoy our life of dependence upon God. So there you go. And you don't have to be a prey to the enemy and you don't have to be captured by the prowling, lie So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for the time we get together to just get in the Word and, and find out truth, because truth sets us free. And I realize there are people who are listening to this teaching right now who, who have been offended at you, and they've been disillusioned with their doctrine, and they've been, they've been uh, questioning their own faith, and, and they're wondering where, where you've been and why certain things have happened to them. I pray that today you would give them confidence to look to you. To look to you and to realize you—you've uh, never left. Your promises are still good. We will reap if we don't faint. So uh, we trust you. We cast our care upon you, and we refuse to listen to the lies of the enemy. So I pray that you would minister to each one, and that each one of these, one of your precious sheep, would would be equipped to handle what life throws at them because they know they are living in, in union with you. I pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, till next time, this is Dudley Hall with Kerygma Ventures. I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerigma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.